the blood and black crumb podcast i'm ryan from coltsweightation.com and i'm joined with my co-host martin how's it going uh doing pretty well we're back after easter resurrection sunday we uh had ham or turkey or whatever whatever you uh celebrate with for me it was steak delicious delightful uh sirloin grilled up the lord was not hammered to the cross for you to be eating a steak on his day, well, of day his I don't, resurrection. Again, I don't partake in the religious aspects of the holidays, but uh, isn't it like, isn't it the end of Lent so you can eat red meat? Isn't that like the thing? Oh, like couldn't tell you. Part of, part of the, the, the whole thing with Easter is like, you know, you, have, you finally you got through not eating chocolate or well, l- whatever no, you gave up. Yeah, Lent's about, you know, you give something. But it's, it's also like part of like the, it's... You got to eat fish on Fridays and stuff like that, right? So Man, that's more Catholic thing. Yeah. So, like, now that you've made it to Easter, and you know what I'm going to do? It's going to dig into six sirloin steaks. Six, eh? I missed out on all those Fridays. <laughs> I got to make up for it. No, yeah, we did. We did have, like, six sirloins because it was me and my parents, my family, and uh, my aunt and uncle. So, there was quite a few people, so we... We needed a, a fair number of steaks, and right now steak is extremely expensive too. And I was about unfor- to say, how much that cost you? Four hundred and seventy dollars. Well, we actually we had um, had some steaks in the freezer from when they were on sale, so we we had some good deals in there, and then we had to get pick up a couple more, and it was like eleven dollars for a large sirloin steak because it's so fucking expensive right now. But um, yeah, yeah, has a, had a good time. Hopefully, you guys. Uh, while you're sitting around with your your friends and family celebrating Easter, cracking open so, a few eggs, hopefully you listen to our Critters 2 episode. Please don't. <laughs> Skip it. <laughs> Had the whole you're, family come around. You, guys, guys, guys. You gotta listen to this Blood and Black Rum podcast Easter special. It's like uh, watching the Rugrats uh, Easter spectacular episode that they did, but instead with Rugrats, it's Blood and Black Rum podcast. Did they do it in Easter? I don't even remember. They did like a pa- actually it was like a Passover episode, yeah, I think. They, Not they, Easter, but same same idea. I don't think they did a Passover episode either. They did uh they did did a Hanukkah episode and a Kwanzaa, but I don't I think thought they, they did were... a Passover one too. Maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. It was one of those. Maybe I'm thinking of the Hanukkah one. But anyway, we're we're back with a new episode, um, and we wanted to do this episode. You know, like normally we do biweekly. It seems like our schedule has kind of changed again, where we're doing. Oh, they did the, they did do a Rugrats Passover episode. Ah, see, told you. Uh, it seems like our our schedule has kind of changed. We used to do biweekly, and now there's been just so many movies that we wanted to get done and cover, and holidays and all of that that we've been doing more of a weekly episode um, this this time. But uh, we wanted to come back and do this episode because um, Monday on. Um, April 18th, the Batman released to HBO Max, and we've been wanting to do that one since it released to theaters. We didn't get to go see it in theaters, and um, it was something that we, we really wanted to get on the show, especially since we've done so many other superhero movies, um, and uh, to kind of wash our hands of the other DC movies in the DCEU, uh, we wanted to to cover the Batman, so we thought we'd come back the week that it released on HBO Max and, and get that out there. So 
and and not only that, but we're we're recording this episode on 420 as well. So, toke up, everyone. All right, Do Martin, you are you are you token? Doing that CBD. <laughs> I'm doing um drops actually. I'm putting drops right in my eye. Oh. No, it was a joke. It was a joke. like in like the Batman movie. You know they have the I drop do, heads. I do, I do slow mo. Yeah. From from dread. Oh yeah. No, I, I didn't do anything because I don't know how I react on a podcast. You know, like I might just be sitting here all of a sudden zoning out and can't really do that on a podcast. I kind of have to sure, to sure lead. Sure you can. Joe Rogan does it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because his, his followers throw, literally, literally listen to three hours of Joe Rogan grunting. So. Just like, hey, have you ever done a peyote? And then he just sits and stares for. I kind of have to uh, lead this show, so I don't. Uh, I don't know what would happen if I if I just started zoning out and had you fill the airtime. <laughs> I'd probably walk away. <laughs> So well, you know. Never mind. I'm done. I'd be lost without you. That's right. I hold Enrique it all together. Inglés- Let's say Enrique Iglesias' uh, hero would be playing in the mm. background. I can be your hero, baby. So um, we we so we we not, not, neither of us saw the Batman when it first came out. Uh, we wanted to, but. Didn't get a chance to. It would have been fun to see this one in theaters. Seven uh, hours long. So yeah. And, uh, you know, bring our um, our catheter with us <laughs> for, for the three bathroom breaks that we need to take every hour for the movie. Um, you can go through dialysis while watching this movie. You know, and that brings up a good point, too, is like when you go to the movie theater and you get like the, the large bucket of popcorn that has the free refills or the the, the soda that has the free refills because you got the extra uh, extra large big boy uh, <laughs> uh, cup. Um, that always bothers me because like, yeah, I could get a refill, but am I just going to like get up and leave this movie right now to just go stand in line and wait for a popcorn refill? Um, I generally am not like that because like, even if I leave like during a regular part in a movie that i'm watching at home like i've got to pause it i can't like just go take a piss and uh leave it running you might be missing on something that's right like a small dramatic detail that i just i come back and i'm like what's happening there's gonna be a lot of those in a seven hour film like you're not gonna know like oh like like i missed like um a symbolic motif somewhere and then it, it comes up again at the end, and I'm like, why, why is the camera centering on that? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. That actually, well, this film, this film has, like, you know, the, the riddles, like, screaming at you. So, I mean, like, there's not going to, there's, you know, be hard to, fi- you know, miss the nuance. Well, if you look in the backgrounds of all the shots in the movie, you'll see um, the riddle marks, you know, the the question marks that are appear in the uh, Batman video game series, they're they're spread all around. You just gotta really look for them in the backgrounds. You can see I even saw some Riddler trophies in the background. Yeah, glinting in the distance, saying, "Are you sure you want to spend the time to get all five hundred of these?" Robert Pattinson being like, uh, "Here we go." That'd be great. What are the, I want like I, we should have had that as that would have been a ten on ten film, like a seven hour jaunt of just like Robert Pattinson. Found one, found one. <laughs> hey, I found another. 
like kind of like you know with like the bat the Batman movie maybe a Batman movie from '66 with like Adam West running around like a bomb, but instead of like running around with a bomb, he's just running around with Riddler trophies. Like I don't know what to do, Alfred. They should have space. They should have done like a Twitch stream one where he uh, he just sits there like it, the Twitch stream is called the Batman, and in this one he's just literally finding all the trophies for a good six hours. Film we deserve. That's right. All right. Um, before we get into the Batman, let's take a break and let's talk about the beer that we have on the show today because um, we do have a nice special one on here. I know that there's at least one listener out there who's not excited about the beer that we have on the show today. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? We don't cater the podcast around him because I don't. I think the last time uh, he he did a Fiden's run for me uh, was like two times ago, but he got you one just recently. So uh, that's why we don't cater the show to just anybody. We cater wait. it to consistent Fiden's mules. I was going to say, way to sell the mule out. Yeah. So um, on the show today, uh, I, I got a beer that um, I thought sounded – Really interesting, and also I wanted to protect some of my, um, some of my own interests and my the the cost of this beer to offset it. I uh, decided to do it for the podcast because I wasn't sure that I was actually going to like it. Um, we've done the uh, a beer tree beer on the show before that was part of their layered series. Um, the last we. we- we have done more than just a beer tree. We've done a bunch of No, beer we've done a bunch of them, but I meant um in the layered series, we've we've done one other one previously. And that was a No, we've we've done the we did the passion fruit uh, dragon fruit one and the uh, blood orange. Did we do those two? That's not in the layered series, is it? It's not mm-hmm. a granola one. I believe so. No, I don't think those ones are granola. Those are in the other series um, that they do, the uh, the um, Virtuosity series. Oh. This one is bad. the Layered series. So we've, my bad. We've done a bunch of different ones, but... Sp- speaking of that turn now. In the Layered series that Beer Tree does, um, which is basically granola parfait sours. That's, like, what the Layered boils down to. Um, we did one, and it was, like, a blueberry granola um which if you remember when we did that episode at the time we were like wow this is weird it's weird but 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 interesting um so i wanted to continue with that and i got the newest beer tree layered that they just released uh which is a mango coconut granola and vanilla fruited parfait sour that's a mouthful to say but I thought it sounded interesting, but the reason I had to kind of mitigate me not liking it is because um, I'm not a big fan of coconut. I don't really like coconut in any particular way. Like I don't, I don't like actual coconut. I don't like mounds. I don't like artificial coconut. But if it's in a drink, like if it's in like a pina colada or something like that i will accept it and i will tolerate it but it's not something that i will jump at and be like whoa coconut 
And that's also because I've had a lot of um, middling beers with coconut in them uh, to the point where when I see coconut in a beer now, I, I'm kind of like, uh, it might be good or it might not be good. So I got it for the show because I share two with Martin. And I know that Martin likes coconut or likes mango a lot and he does appreciate coconut. So I thought it would be an interesting one to do for the show, especially because the combination does sound very odd and different with the granola, and I thought it would be good to talk about. So with that said, we have it on the show, and I am pleasantly surprised to tell you that I enjoy it. Um, I think I actually think I enjoy it more than the blueberry one, to be honest with you. It's a very interesting beer, and it literally is layered. And it's a very uh, thick, pulpy beer. It doesn't have a lot of head on it, uh, but it is a very pulpy beer um, that, you know, it's it has a great mouthfeel, very creamy mouthfeel um, because of that granola. And immediately you get a nice mango flavor to it, nice juicy mango, subtle hint of coconut, which is why I like it, because it doesn't have a, a, an immense coconut flavor. And then at the end, you get that nice granola, brown sugar, vanilla flavor to top it off it's very interesting um you know not overly cloying um overall i'm very very pleased with the layered what, what are your thoughts on it i like it a lot um as i take a nice swig <laughs> from number two i like it a lot it's got a nice fruity juicy mango taste nice subtle hint of coconut you definitely get like the vanilla you definitely taste some of the granola too. Um, it's an odd combo, but it works really well. It's not one that I would really, you know, kind of put together because uh, my parfaits are usually boring. I'm just like, give me the vanilla yogurt and some granola. We'll call it a day. But I That's think it, it? works. Really- yeah, well, because I don't really need to. I mean, I'm already eating something incredibly sweet. I don't need to load it up with like even more fruit. Make it, you know diabetic <laughs> wow well I, I i do like it a lot um i think every beer tree that i've ever had i've enjoyed outside like the blood orange one uh virtuosity this is well done you don't taste the seven and a half alcohol on it. it's very drinkable um almost has a smooth it has a smoothie quality to it and you're right, you do get like a pulpiness to it too. I thought at first I was kind of imagining it, like, oh, what's like, kind of like tastes like there's like, you know, feel like there's some pulp in there. But nope, it's it's there. But I enjoy it a lot. It's definitely a very enjoyable, um, I think calling it a sour is uh, generous because right? <laughs> it's so kind of thick layered and complex. You don't really get like a you know traditional sour you know taste out of it, um, but I like it a lot. Um, you know, I like what they do, you know beer tree does when it comes to these types of types of beers. And I can't wait to you know drive more of them. Yeah, check it out. Um, they have a, a few layers now. Um, like I said, they have that maple brown sugar blueberry granola one, um, and then they also have. Uh, cinnamon granola peach blueberry which sounds pretty good uh, strawberry cheesecake a key lime pie 
uh, kiwi mango banana honey. That one I'm not so sure about with the banana and the honey there. Um, and a strawberry, blueberry, vanilla, granola. Which, I mean, they all sound very, very strong except for that banana one. So, um, like the key lime pie one really stands out to me. That That's one I want to find at some point. Um, I'm sure that they're all kind of limited. Uh, but pe people recently trucked into them, so maybe they're available. I don't know. So, we'll be on the lookout for more layers in the future. Key lime sounds absolutely delightful. It does. I think the strawberry cheesecake sounds really good, too. All right, so on to the Batman, and I got it right this time. I used the article and everything. Is there anything else that you would like to critique about my phrasing of the title before we move on? No, you actually got it right, Frogs. Wait, you forgot John Carpenter's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, and and also, did I um, did I sound enough like uh, Robert Pattinson? No. Should I have been more like <laughs> Batman? The Batman. The Batman. My dad Thomas is kind of a dick. I did like the fact that like it just opens. The film just opens up with the Batman, like the Bat you know, boom, the Batman. You know, big bold letters. Do you, you like? Uh, yeah, because like a lot of times now with uh, more modern movies, the the movie like kind of like what we do on the show is almost like it's a secret when you get into the movie. It's like where's the title card? Um, and then it's like going on and on. It's you like, see, well, you know what? It's 15 minutes in. I'm not getting a title card. Then 25 minutes in, you get the title card. It's like, you find, yeah. at that point, it's like scarier than the movie. And like, it's like, when it, yeah, where did that title card come out, come from? You get, you get your title card when act two starts. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, hopefully you didn't forget what movie you were in. Uh, you didn't go to the wrong theater. Here's the movie title. Uh, which, you know, like TV shows are doing that a lot more now, too. You know, 25 minutes into the show, like, yeah, uh, we'll play the theme song. By season three, it's like, <laughs> you, you don't even need, like, what do you need a title card for? You know what you're watching, goddammit. By season three, they've dropped the rights to the theme song. So they don't need to play it anymore. They play a truncated version. It's like, we'll play three notes of the theme song and you'll know it. You know what it is now. So that's how Ryan Bingham made his money for the bridge, then, huh? Down, down, down. That's the bridge theme song. <laughs> when you told me that, too, because I watched that show, and I like that show. The bridge is, was a good show. When you told me that Ryan Bingham did the theme song, I'm like, the, the theme song? It has three notes. It's a three-note theme. It literally is like five seconds long. Yeah, the actual song is 25 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. They're like, it's they're, actually, they're it's like just, Ryan, it's, we pay for quality, not quantity. How? It's actually just, you know, um, it's just the weary kind again, like, you know, from Crazy Heart. Yeah. <laughs> now he's making all his money on, like, being, like, a supporting actor on Yellowstone. Mm. Yeah. Is he really? Apparently. I have, I've never seen it. I know. My dad watches it. I'll have to ask him. Do you, do you know the guy Ryan Bingham on Yellowstone? I, he won't. I say apparently it's like the, it's the conservative show uh, of choice these day, these days because Kevin Costner is just a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he would know the guy because this is a man who thinks a one man one act play is has too many characters in it. So <laughs> he wouldn't know. He had no idea. Like, I don't know. The bearded guy, the mustache guy. I don't know. 
just too many people. Ryan, <laughs> your dad's review of uh, Glass Menagerie on, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah, I thought it was a little too long-winded. A little, little too many characters. Yeah, too many characters. Too many characters. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't keep with up what was going on. Dad, there's three characters. Yay! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too too many. All right, so the Batman. Yeah, I, I, so I like you. You brought up the beginning. I did want to talk about the beginning in the beginning, which makes sense for a podcast. You know, you start at the beginning. Uh, what did you think about the beginning of the movie? That kind of like sets up the you know the Batman that we know about and kind of puts the Batman into you know obviously from the beginning we know that it's sort of like a fledgling thing that's been going on. It's not like the Batman has been working in Gotham for twenty years now. Uh, it's pretty clear that. When we when we when this movie's starting, that the Batman is not like, you know, a, a veteran at this at this point. I like that. I think. Oh, is my neck just cracked? Um, <laughs> I honestly think. Oh, sorry, sorry for being loud there. Um, I think like they're kind of going like the year one route, mm-hmm. which I think would have been a great idea. Like, like I to see like an inexperienced Batman. And, like, you know, the trials and tribulations that, you know, an experienced Batman goes through. Which we kind of get here. He's, you know, two years on the job. Two years plus. Um, but I do, I really do like, you know, the fact that it opens up with, like, the mayor in in his little uh, election headquarters watching the news. And you see the Riddler kind of stalking him. And then you see the Riddler, you know, sneak up behind him and hit him very brutally it's a great moment because it has like a very serial killer horror movie seven vibe to it of him just standing there in the living room and then all of a sudden there's like a flash and you see the riddler just there behind him just standing there which sets the tone for this film that it's gonna be like almost you know like uh noir horror Mm -hmm. which the film you know basically is i mean i think i mean it does borrow from like a lot of different you know classic uh modern day classic batman stories Mm -hmm. but like i to me like the biggest like uh influence i could see you know is like seven like there's a lot of beats from this that you know Mm -hmm. um come from seven which is a film i would like us to do because i think um that's definitely one that as we get further from when it came out it's kind of like fallen from like the popular zeitgeist that being said, I, I really do like the setup. Um, I like, you know, the fact that it's got that, you know, horror element to it. It makes it, you know, that more engaging. And then the pacing that we get from that, you know, kind of fits to what we're going on. So we get like a nice crime, noir, horror film. Yeah, I really like that that opening. Um and not not even just with with the mayor, but the opening itself, where you know Batman is kind of giving his mo- his his monologue uh, about crime in the city, and we're seeing like three different crimes happening um, at the basically at the same time. Which again, set on Halloween, that is like right there and then you've roped me in. Like fuck it, this Batman movie isn't set on Halloween for the first part of this movie. I'm in. Um, all you're all you were missing was him smoking a cigarette and like the L.A. Noir theme playing. In the yeah. Like like this city. Yeah. The city's been on the beat for two years and the city just keeps getting worse and worse. But I think Crime. that that Crime's bad. 
that opening is really uh, a draw for me because, again, like I said, it's kind of it, it sets the tone that Batman is not like a veteran at this at this point. It's not like he's been just working forever. Um, there's still that element of, you know, it's sort of new, but criminals are starting to figure this out. And now that they have the bat signal, there's the impact that it has that even if Batman is not there there is the tendency for the criminal element to think like, well, maybe he is here. Maybe he's lurking in the shadows. So there's like a, you know, a secondary um, effect from him uh, just, just having the presence in the city Uh, and it's fear, obviously um, fear that they're going to get taken out. And I like that a lot, you know, and and at at the same time, he, (laughs) in, in this movie, he literally is there, Uh, which, which is, missed op- I say missed op- Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Missed opportunity if you're going like the whole like vengeance and fear route. Probably should use Scarecrow. Mm. You know if that's going to be you could have yeah motif in the film. I'm not I'm not complaining, but you know I yeah mean, yeah. I just I I mean I thought that was that was interesting. You know like even though he may not be lurking, he he is in the presence of their thoughts, and I thought that was a really interesting take on on Batman that we don't. Uh, see a whole lot. Um, wh- well, that I say that kind of, that that does pair with the line uh, when we before we got into our little group chat. I had like playing in the background uh, from Batman Beyond. Like, what are cowards? A superstitious cowardly law. Mm-hmm. That's something that you know they say all the time in the Timverse. Like you know, like when you watch the Justice League episode where they go to like the future, meet up with Static Shock and shit. Um, uh, when like old Batman's like asking new Batman, he's like, "Are criminals still a superstitious cowardly law?" And he's like, "Yup." <laughs> and then like you know, goes and finds some criminals and interrogates them. Mm-hmm. But like you know, so I mean like that 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 is nice because like like a nice little homage to that like idea that you know, in this world, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly law. <laughs> I think you said it well that this movie does have that noir element and it does have a horror element and it kind of interplays with both of those. Um, it's very obvious that Matt Reeves in this direction is influenced by a lot of different elements of Batman. It's clear that he knows the comics fairly well um, he and, and all the iterations of those comics, but it, it's, it is very clear that he's influenced by certain ideas from those elements he's definitely influenced by like what you said before we got on the show the long halloween that's that's a big one uh especially like just even the setting alone on um in this movie being set on halloween and then just after um is definitely you know similar to the long halloween he does take a lot from scott snyder's recent uh batman comics run which was a lot more serious um and somewhat horror like um, he does pull from the noir elements of the Timverse uh, because the Batman animated series was incredibly noir-like. Um, where it, at times where it kind of eschewed some of like the more modern approaches of uh, like the Batman comics to go of, in a more like kind of antiquated uh, like fifties route in some cases, like the car designs and things like that. Um, Art Deco. Yep, it pulls. Um, for- Oh, hush, as I say, pulls yep. from Hush. Mm-hmm. Um, it pulls a lot from from David Fincher in his uh, films and and Seven. Um, <clears throat> Arkham pulls from the Arkham games too. It does, yeah, it, yeah. It's kind of interesting how much it can pull from. Um, to be honest with you, and and stick within its same themes. Um, 
Which and, is good because you'd think like at this point when you sign on for like a DC or Marvel project, you have access to the fucking like libraries. Mm-hmm. If you're not like before you sit down, like you have an idea and you're not like scoping through the thousands upon thousands of pages like of canon to go through, then what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Agreed. But I think that it's what it's not is it's not situated in the campiness that has come to define the Zack Snyder version of Batman. Because I wouldn't say Zack Snyder's universe is campy. It's just bad. I, I I would say it's it's campy unintentionally. Um, and I think like we there's a lot of talk about how Zack Zack Snyder brings like a miserable uh, darkness. Dirt. Yeah, dirge to Batman. But even so, like, I don't tend to see it that way because though Zack Snyder treats Batman like he's miserable, the film itself, it can sometimes be, like, just overwhelmingly cheesy instead of, like, dark. It's more like, you know, a 13-year-old going through a a dark phase uh, of, you know, like, you know, yeah, they're... They're sort of like depressed, but it's not like real depressed. It's like their um, emotional response to puberty <laughs> or something like that. That's like that's kind of how I see Zack Snyder's movies. They're not super. They're like they're still very fluffy. They're well. They're, I think I think part of the problem is because Zack Snyder, especially when it comes to like DC, mainly pulls inspiration from the fucking Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. So. It's not like, you know, uh, a dearth of intelligent darkness. Mm-hmm. Like, the Dark Knight Returns in hindsight is not that great of a piece of work, if you ask me. At least, but but it's, it's just that overall, like, yeah, Batman's... What makes Batman, pow- you know, impactful? He's, he's dark, he's tormented, and he's gonna kill people. He's got guns. I like guns. <laughs> I mean, and I, not only that, not only that, he didn't have a film to fuck up with Batman. He, ba- I mean, when you think about it, because I mean, in hindsight, they didn't do Batman film. Batman v Superman isn't even a Batman film, it's, right. or a Superman film. It's just a clusterfuck, and then Justice League is fucking Justice League. Right. They didn't even have to deal with any of like the baggage of Batman himself, you know, because that kind of, you know, it's when you're dealing with like the two fighting each other, there's a lot other stuff to deal with besides that you know so i think the batman it, it does draw from a lot of different influences and but it still sticks to its one main theme and mood and that mood is very moody and it's very grim um for a pg-13 movie this movie does hit a lot of elements to it that is is very similar to like the you know the r-rated seven as you said is um, it PG thirteen? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a, time, what a time we live in. Right. It doesn't really seem like it should be because it has, you know, the Riddler does has its, you know, saw like seven like trap uh serial killings. Uh has some very brutal on screen uh murder. And um very early on too, there's an F bomb dropped. Um which I thought was surprising, which made me, you know, kind of question like, oh, does it, is this really PG-13? You know, how many are they going to drop here? And that's, that is the only, truly the only one. And in, in true MPAA fashion, uh, you're getting an R rating if you go over one F-bomb. 
That's it, man. One and done. What a time and it, we live in. And it now. can't have any sexual connotations or else you're immediate R. Oh, you're killing you're saying to like the response of killing somebody? PG thirteen. You wanna <laughs> fuck you wanna fuck? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. No. Yeah, yeah. Um Titanic gets a uh tasteful nudity scene and it's still PG thirteen. Oh really? I thought it was R. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> just got to be the right director. That's, just, yeah. Yeah, Steven, we got to give your film a... We're going to have to give your film an R because you had someone's head explode in Temple of Doom. Nah, nah. Well, here's how the times have changed, okay. too. We didn't even mention in Critters 2 that Critters 2 is a PG-13 movie. And it has the Kernahan cannons, as we mentioned on the last <laughs> episode. Just out-and-out Kernahan cannons. Wouldn't it have been something if it was a canon film? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but anyway, okay. So, back to the Batman. So, there's a lot going on in the Batman, and that's part of the reason why it's three hours long. Um, but the overall crux of the movie is that it's about two years into Bruce Wayne uh, taking on the mantle of the Batman. Um He's kind of experimenting with this as being like an approach to uh, trying to stop crime in Gotham, which is kind of run rampant. And um, at this point, he hasn't really met any of the the cabal of villains that we've come to know from the Batman series. Uh, he's still like kind of in process of just taking down like small time crime and stuff like that. Um, and so we're kind of meeting him as he's figuring out this path to being Batman. And clearly he doesn't really have it figured out that well. For the most part, he is just taking down like small crimes, um, you know, small violent crimes, things like that. But then he's coming into this uh, murder of the mayor and dealing with that with the police. And as we know, the police don't really like Batman because he's uh, something of a vigilante operating outside of the bounds of the police department and the only one that really puts up with that is lieutenant gordon let me just say for one thing um well two things actually one man 1970s uh new york city has never changed (laughs) with like the downtrodden like crime is everywhere and we gotta be vigilant and two it especially regarding like today's world and like the political leanings of people today do you really think most people would fucking, like, be up in arms about a vigilante? No, it'd be like Death Wish. They'd all be like, yeah, rooting on for Bronson. Like, kill those fuckers, you know? Yeah. So, like, when you have, like, films like this and you're like, I can't believe there's a vigilante going around. They'd be, they'd be like, good. Beat the shit out of them. <laughs> I can't. Cops can't. Go go beat the shit out well, of actually, them. Well, so, actually, like, you know, the, I don't, they don't really um, focus too much on, like, the public's perception of Batman, right? Uh, no, f- but I mean, like, I mean, like the cops. Do you think the, mm. the cops too would be like, yeah, go, like, listen, well, I- <laughs> well, interestingly too, this movie is all about how how far corruption runs in Gotham, right? Like, because because every major element of the city, from the mayor to the DA to uh, <clears throat> the judges, are all in on the corruption that's inherent here. Uh, you know, being led by mob bosses, particularly um, Carmine Falcon Falcone. Um, or Falcone, however you Jesus like to say Christ. it. Yeah, gee, I was say Jesus Christ, butcher it four different ways, why don't you? <laughs> Carmine Falcone. Well, not in this movie. He's Falcone. It's Falcone. 
I, I know that. Well, you know what? It's dependent on who's putting on the show or who's doing the comic. But in this case, it's Carmine Falcone. Um, they they do not have the E at the end here. Um, but Actually, I believe it's Falcone! Yeah, Falcone! Just really accentuated. Carmine Falcone! What would you like? Pasta um, played by John Turturro. And I do have to say that I am quickly becoming a... Uh, An old man? No. no. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. Uh, no, but I am becoming a Turturro fanboy because I recently uh, watched the 2016 TV series The Night Of, which he is in, and he plays the the, um, the main attorney in that show. And uh, I am... Have quickly come around to him being a great actor, and um, Turturro's always been great. No, I mean I, he always has, but uh, just recently I've really been enmeshed in like Turturro uh, things that he's been doing. So uh, I think he he did great in the Night of. It's great here as uh, Carmine Falcone, um, with uh, you know like nice nice like uh, upkept but menacing manner to him. Um, what I was saying about, like, you know, like, you would think with all the corruption running rampant, especially, like, on the police force, they'd be like, yeah, vigilante, who cares? You know, he's not operating in the bounds of the police force, but neither am I, so, uh, whatever. But no, they're, they're all uppity about it. Um, but, but anyway, like, I guess this, this film has a lot going on because it has that whole element of the Falcone, uh, regime and, uh, the past um, uh, case against um, Thomas Wayne and um, what he did in the past. And that all kind of comes together in this one big uh, search for who is the rat uh, in a, in the case against um, Salvatore uh, – what was it? Maroney? Maroney. Yeah, yeah Maroney. Maroney. Um, and, and that in, involves like lots of different players. It involves the, the Waynes, um, which in the Batman, the Batman doesn't really focus too much on the whole Wayne murders, but it is a, a fairly large part of the motivation behind Bat, the Batman in this movie. Um, which as I was telling you, I think is very, very overdone. Like the, the element of, of seeing Bruce Wayne in that, you know, in crime alley, Seeing his parents murdered has happened so many times, and even recent, very recent comics of the Batman, um, and and I think that I li- I like the fact that the film doesn't really focus on that it, uh, moment. It doesn't like actually show you that happening. It doesn't uh, like make when it into a dir- whole big thing. When we get the director's cut, we will get that. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make it a whole big thing, and I like that. I, I would I, I would be fine with a Batman movie, just not even dealing with that, just, you know, completely, uh, skipping over the, the whole element of his parents' death. Well, I, I think with, when it comes to that, I mean, like treat it like, like it's like, it's, it's a trope that it's like on stairway to heaven level, like for like rock music. Mm -hmm. And like when you had like Wayne's world, when he starts playing stairway to heaven, like, Nope, don't do it. Like at this point, Batman is such well-trodden ground. You don't need to put in like, well, his parents, you know, 
you know, the tragedy of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Everyone knows. And if you don't, you'll have somebody there be like, hey, what do they, when they mention, like, Thomas and Martha Wayne in passing, what does that mean? Oh, this is what they mean. You know? Mm-hmm. Let, like, escape yourself from it. Like, we, like we, we get it. We understand that's the cause of his trauma. At this point, because you fucking do a new film every three years and reboot it every six years, we don't need to see that over and over again. Just be like, we get it. We understand that's his trauma. Then explain like how that impacts this iteration of this character. Is it, yeah, it's like the same thing with Spider-Man and Uncle Ben. We don't need like the Uncle Ben. Uh, how dare you? Death over and over how, again. How fucking dare you? Marissa Tomei is barely in the ground and dead, and you're out here saying we don't need that for her. No, anymore. that was fine because that was alternate. We don't need, you know, Uncle Ben and his wild rice again. Dying on the side of the road. Wild rice sounds delightful. Mm. But no, like, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Like, it, it, that's a, a horse that's been beaten to death and worked to death. And I think it would have been better, like, not even really to bring, bring that part of his life up. I mean, they do. They don't do it that often, but I mean, like, mm-hmm. we don't need to have that talked about all the time. We get it. That's his trauma. That's what's you know made him focus on becoming the Batman. I mean, Let's... I'm I'm okay with it in the Batman because I think that they don't bring it up too much. They, like I said, they don't like have a whole scene. You know, Martha's pearls in the street, stuff like that. Well, uh, they even did that well, and that was like that was the opening to Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. and it's actually really well done. But again. Especially when, at that point, Batman's like fucking 40 years old. We don't need to see that happening. Right. And I, I mean, like, like, so, like, here, like, I mean, it's not, like, a terrible flaw, but like, at the same time, it's like, you don't need to hear, you know, Alfred talk about, well, new parents are shot and crime alley. Yeah, but I was saying, I will allow it because it does, it's not like it's the main crux of this movie. It's part of it, and it does definitely drive the whole vengeance element of batman in this movie um because of the you know the the um revelation of thomas wayne hiring uh carmine falcone to kill a reporter for him um that is definitely part of it and it it drives batman to kind of see his parents in a different light but I just I I would have rather they don't even cover it at all because I don't know that it's really necessary to this movie. There's so much else going on with it. Um, the you know the Riddler being the main villain in this movie does offer up a lot of other riddles that don't even really need the Wayne element to it. Um, you know because there's lots of other things going on. There's Selena Kyle who gets roped into this because she's Carmine Falcone's daughter who he you know he doesn't even know. Um, there's um, a bunch of corruption in Gotham that it goes through beforehand. And I don't know that we need the Thomas Wayne element to really solidify that and bring it back to Batman and Bruce Wayne. Because it seems like even without that, the Riddler knows who Batman is. He's targeting him not because of the Waynes, but because he understands that the drive that Batman has is very similar to his own and kind of equates them in some ways that they're both looking for vengeance uh, against a city that is full of corruption. And the Riddler is sort of like that. Um, 
incel guy that goes online and gets a huge following and then, you know, does a commits a crime. Um, what this movie really plays up is the fact that, you know, he's using social media to become uh, somewhat of a cult leader uh, for these people in Gotham that are underrepresented and sick of the corruption. And they are these Batman's QAnon. Yeah, basically. Uh, maybe a little bit on the nose for this movie at the, at this time. But I will, again, I will allow it because it's a small portion of the movie. And I think Paul Dano does a pretty good job as the Riddler of being um, both threatening when he's in his Slipknot mask, but also, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, particularly uh, non-confrontational when he's out of it as, you know, as himself. Uh, which I kind of like because I like the fact that the film doesn't need like a ridiculous supernatural villain to uh, be the driving force like any of the DC movies have had. You know, that's got to be set in like uh, CGI land with, you know, <laughs> lightning and th- thunderstorms and tunnel clouds and uh, floating through the air and, sh- and shit like that. Particles raining down because it's a supernatural godlike figure. This movie is really well grounded in being like a regular person a regular you know killer and i think that's really where the batman needed to go let you know the other people in the dc franchises deal with mystical stuff let superman deal with aliens and mystical beings and let wonder woman deal with that shit let the batman deal with what he's good at which is detective work and regular human beings who he can take down um so i guess we'll let's let's you know like we can jump to the ending here at this point and talk about how you how do you feel the film does with bringing the vengeance element of batman slash bruce wayne to the forefront and what the riddler does to kind of bring all the corruption into the light and how he feels about his work with the batman what do do, do you think about that (laughs) I, li- I like that, like, you know, after all the riddles and the things that, you know, as, you know, it's a cat, nice cat and mouse game. But at the end, you find out that, you know, after they catch the Riddler and he still has, like, a final trick up his sleeve onto what he's planning, that he, as he's talking to Batman, he's basically saying how <clears throat> that, you know, he couldn't have done this without him. It's him, you know, putting everything out into the light, doing the legwork, being the muscle. That got him to what he, you know, wanted to achieve. If if it weren't for Batman, you know, tracking him down, none of this would have happened. I like that a lot, you know, which, you know, puts some of the responsibility on, you know, which is a tried and true adage, of, you know, for Batman of, like, whether or not his vigilantism is helping or hurting more. You know, it's a, I think, a nice look at it here because, you know through these acts that he's been committing, he's been basically aiding in the Riddler trying to achieve what he's been wanting to achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that too. I like that the Riddler is really equating them together and you know, he keeps saying we and Batman's like, there is no we, but it really does come down to Batman following the riddles and doing exactly what the Riddler wanted and also being motivated by much of the same things. I like that a lot. I think that's a really powerful theme for this movie. 
And one of the main things that I really like about this movie for how dark it is, how much it puts its characters through, like Alfred um, being, you know, basically blown up. (laughs) Um, What I like about the end of the movie is that Batman doesn't really succeed. Um, He succeeds in cleaning up the mess after the fact. He succeeds in understanding the Riddler's plan after it's already set in motion. But he doesn't really succeed um, at figuring out what the Riddler's doing. And I like that because a lot of times in Batman comics and movies, you know, it's it's expected. Batman is going to figure it out at some point, and he's not going to let people die on his watch. You get, well, the, let's say, let's say you get the Lupin, like, at the end of every Lupin episode or movie, like, how'd you figure it out, Lupin? Well, I knew all along because, of, you know, this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, always one step ahead. And here, you know, you don't have that. Right. Because that's also one of the great parts, too, of that interaction between the Riddler and Batman when he's like, oh, and wait for, you know, you're just not going to be able to wait for the final stroke. And he's like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you didn't figure it out? And he has to go back and, you know take another look at the riddle to find out like what the Riddler was actually planning at the end. And by the time he figures it out, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that also makes sense with it being like the second year of Batman doing this, you know, he's obviously not going to be an expert detective at this point as, as we've come to know Batman to be. And obviously Robert Pattinson being younger, uh, Bruce Wayne in this movie, um, there's still a lot of things that he's not experienced in. You know, he's still good at the riddles. He's still a fairly smart guy, and he still has a lot of uh, income and science at his disposal. But he's not perfect, and I like that this movie draws attention to that, that it's he's not perfect, and he did not figure this one out. Uh, Batman can't succeed every single time, and it's pretty much it's uh, very detrimental to Gotham because... The Riddler ends up blowing up all the seawalls and basically drowning a, a bunch of people in Gotham as the water rushes in as a pretty big fuck-up on Batman's part. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's a really interesting idea um, to you know have him fail, uh, especially in his first movie, um, and then figure out how to be better. Um, not only that, too, but uh, the movie kind of brings together that idea of like uh individualism um is not as powerful as like a group a cult of people that are all motivated by the same ideas um you know basically becoming other riddlers that he's kind of assembled i think that's the the movie does a lot of those things very well and um i really appreciated what it did at the end um to you know, kind of give us a little bit of a step back and say, you know what, Batman's not perfect. He's not, you know, immortal. He's just a man who's trying to figure some some shit out in, in Gotham, uh, especially being inexperienced. Um, What do you think about the, the Catwoman uh, stuff that's kind of looped in here? Um, I think it's it's pretty good. Um, I think Zoe Kravitz does a really, pretty, really good job as uh, Selena Kyle. Um, I do think though overall it's one of the more unnecessary parts of this film um, her inclusion I think if they left it at like her being used to like uh, get into like the uh, iceberg lounge like the first time 
with him like using like you know like the which was really cool like the contact lens that you know tracks everything um that whole part's good but like then like after that a lot of her like parts kind of seem ancillary and like the whole fact that she's actually you know falcone's you know illegitimate daughter and she's got this you know score to settle i understand why it's there but i think if if you were ever to complain about like what's technically an unnecessary part to the film i would say that like mm-hmm. her arc is because i think the i mean i'm not saying at the three hours that it is that it's not well paced i actually think it is pretty damn well paced and engaging but i think if you're gonna make it that long i think if they spent more time like being with the first film that's refocusing on what this batman's gonna be the time would have been better spent with Batman and Bruce Wayne and getting to know more about them and mm-hmm. who they are. But I do think uh, Zoe Kravitz does a pretty good job of Selena Kyle. And I did like all the parts where she was in, you know, uh, you know, helping Batman spy in like the Iceberg Lounge in uh, under 44. Yeah, I, I think she does a really good job <laughs> as well. Um, I, I think for the most part, the Catwoman stuff is done fairly tastefully uh, to have him, you know, Batman meet Catwoman. Um, you know, have her be sort of like the, uh, she's not technically a villain. She's not, she's somewhat of an antagonist and she has different motivations than Batman, especially when it comes to like killing people. But she does, you know, still, um, you know, have an influence on Batman. I, I like all of that. I think that's pretty well done. Uh, I think you're right though, that she does seem like very ancillary later on in the, sh- in the movie. Um, it really just kind of gets us to the end of the movie where she kind of comments on the fact that Batman is already with someone and Batman is with Gotham. <laughs> uh, and there's really nothing else that, you know, th- there's nothing that can come between Batman and Gotham. That's kind of just what his life is going to be. Um, so I think they use that for that. And, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty good. But you're right. I think, um, you know, it, it, Catwoman here is sort of set up for stuff later on uh like in in sequels um not necessarily as much to do in this movie um uh but what i did find interesting um about like having these characters that batman doesn't really know like the penguin um played by colin farrell in a great um transformation (laughs) of Colin Farrell. Um, is that like, long, took me a long time to realize that was Colin Yeah. Farrell. Like you can kind of see it in the face that he's, you know, that it's Colin Farrell, but, uh, you know, it definitely is a transformation. Um, but, uh, what I like about that is that, you know, we're getting to see these characters for the first time, but it's not like for every one of them, we're not getting like a, a super in-depth origin story for them. Like we, we might get in a movie that's kind of devoted to that villain. Um, you know, we don't have to see it from scratch. Like, Oh, here's the reason why the penguin is the way he is. And here's the reason why, uh, the Joker is the way he is. Um, the Riddler actually doesn't even really get that amount of, uh, development. It's, it's more like exposition that it's, it's, they're kind of like, Oh yeah. Uh, he was in the orphanage and his, his past was fucked up. But it doesn't really give too much depth to why he does the things that he does, which I don't really think that we need that all the time for a villain. We don't need the exact reason why they are doing what they're doing, uh, as long as the motivation at the time makes sense. 
Um, so I like that a lot of meeting the, the characters again for the first time. Um, let's see. Uh, speaking of, you had said the three hour runtime. I think that it's pretty much like normally on the show, we talk about how the film could have been cut down, but I really did not feel like the Batman did not need to be three hours. I, I felt like it pretty much used the whole runtime to its advantage to get things across. I don't really think that it w- any of it was truly wasted time uh, or filler time. Um, I think that it pretty much used it appropriately and i i didn't expect myself to say that um coming into the movie because hearing about a three-hour batman movie you know it's kind of you're like "Ah, that's excessive you know it's not necessary but i did end up feeling like all of it was truly necessary for the for the film i agree excuse me sorry i agree like the fact that it kind of like you know leaned into that noir style and had like a methodical pace um but it knew where it was going and it kept you engaged for most of the film. Um, it definitely does not feel like three hours long. It's definitely engaging. Um, like I said, though, like one of the things I think they could have done a better job with, and this is just me screenwriting, is that, like if they spent more of that time getting to know Bruce Wayne as a person, because a lot of the film is dedicated to Batman. And what he's doing, which I get because the film is called The Batman. And the main crux of the point of the film is that, you know, Bruce Wayne is the Batman. However, we don't really know Bruce Wayne. So, like, that kind of, like, oh, you've always been the Batman ever since then. You know, kind of falls flat because all we see in, I think, one of the incredibly weaker points of the film is anytime we see... Bruce Wayne and Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne. He's just a pout and emo with some fucking eyeliner on. Like he just got back from a cure concert. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been nice to see like, you know, a more fleshed out Bruce Wayne. I'm not saying he had to be like exactly like the Tim verse where you have like, you know, Bruce Wayne and Batman and like, who is, who is he more Bruce Wayne? Is he more Batman? Is he a mix? Is one of them like an identity for him? But here, like, if we're going with the idea, like, he's the Batman, show more of, like, Bruce Wayne as the facade, or at least how we're going to get there. Because we don't really see that in this film. Like, we, we have very fleeting moments of Bruce Wayne with Alfred, and they're not really, like, meaningful in any way, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a a wasteful point. Cause I think Andy circus does a good job as Alfred, but I don't think like you, you get enough of that to like, you know, feel any connection for the two. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, what it boils down to not showing Bruce Wayne as much about Bruce Wayne is that, you know, he really has the film tries to show that he really has kind of like receded uh, into this experiment that he's been doing in Gotham of being Batman and it all drives the fact that he's he's doing this for vengeance. It's not really for anything else. It's not really to as much to clean up Gotham as it is his his own act of vengeance uh, about his past. And I think that that um, that was me- intended to come out for the end when the Red Riddler kind of equates them to each other. Um, 
though I can see what you're saying that you don't really get a sense of who Bruce Wayne is in this movie besides the fact that he's devoted his time to being Batman. Um, you, we kind of get glimpses of that. We kind of get told what he's been doing, you know, not going to, um, like various functions and things and skipping out on those things. Um, and also not like doing charity work and stuff like we tend to know Batman and Bruce Wayne as doing, um, you know, basically giving back to Gotham. Um, but we don't really get to see a whole lot of that because Robert Pattinson for about probably 80% of the movie is, is, is Batman. That's it. There is no other Bruce Wayne persona. Um, so I think like, I understand, you know, that, that, that's what they wanted to do to show that he's driven by vengeance and has basically become Batman for this reason. But I do think that it would have been useful to see a little bit of Bruce Wayne as well, um, being Bruce Wayne. Um, well, the, and again, like <clears throat> as I said before we even started the podcast, the reason I make the argument is because at the end you find that, you know, again, Riddler knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman and that he's connected to all of this. I think to make that impactful, you have to know more about Bruce as a person because the whole idea of like my identity is going to be found out. That whole mystique is, you know, you don't really give a shit about and you don't care that Riddler knows or there's no reason for Riddler to even know that if you don't know about Bruce the man. Mm. So if we're going with the fact that he's just the Batman, you could have had like the Riddler because, again, he doesn't win at the end anyway. He doesn't end up technically winning at the end. So you could have had the fact that he knows Batman as a vigilante and that he might side with him because he's looking for vengeance and justice and that he knows the Waynes were are founding members of Gotham and corrupt as everyone else. You didn't have to have him make the connection because now, like, okay, is he going to be like Hugo Strange? Like, just like kind of like constantly lingering over him. Like, I know who Batman is. Everyone be like, yeah, okay, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. You know. So that, that, you know, that's where I kind of, like, come at it with. Like, and I think also, too, I think because Robert Pattinson does such a good job as Batman, I think it would have been nice to see him be more of an actual show what, you know, who he is as Bruce Wayne is. Mm-hmm. Because even, like, in the Nolan films, we get to see throughout, you know, the charade that Bale puts on as being Bruce Wayne. And the same thing with, like, Keaton as Batman. The charade he puts on of being Bruce Wayne. So, what what did you think of the soundtrack in this movie? Oh, how'd you like the Ave Marie? Like, uh, making uh, the Riddler into Professor Pig for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole soundtrack really uses the classical score... Um, within its its own you know rendition of those songs, I don't really mind the Ave Maria part of that. Um, but you're right, like it it does kind of uh, cross over into other villain territory. I'm not I'm not complaining about it because I mean again I mean Riddler is like an amalgamation of like Pig and Professor Pig, Hosh uh, Riddler, and you know little elements of like Nolan's Bane. Um, I'm fine with it, but it's just, it's just kind of funny. Like when you had that, cause it's like, oh, you know what the Riddler's not known for? Playing opera music as he like murders people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but no, I think the soundtrack was pretty good, uh, especially seeing as I think one of the weaker parts of the Nolan verse is Hans Zimmer's score, which because it's just really generic. Um, it does have like that nice classical feel. I do think the couple of times where they played like the like random like emo song, was, it, like that we get at the end, is kind of weird. Like you know, like God save Gotham, God save uh, the man. Nirvana, something in the way. Yeah, oh, is that what that was? Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. I actually like that. I think it brings a nice uh, like I I'm not a, uh, always a huge fan of like the the remix renditions of like classic rock songs that they bring to, um, you know, various superhero films. But in this case, I am going to allow it. I think that it worked well. And, um, I think it does fit in well with like the very ominous grim score, especially that's kind of, uh, revolved props because, uh, the, the soundtrack utilizes the timpani player more than the Halloween 2 soundtrack. It's the most work that the timpani player has seen in a long time. So I'm, I, I did appreciate the fact that the, the film incorporates a lot of timpani and a lot of um, uh, very ominous orchestral score that is reminiscent of the Batman themes that we think of, like the the Tim versus... Um, but also kind of, you know, doesn't use that approach. It's, it's a little bit different, especially, like, very, very, pl- um, like, plotting and um, intense. I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack itself. thought it was a very, very good... Uh, addition to this movie to give it even more tenseness would have been nice if Shirley Walker was still with us to to bring us the Tim verse score for the film yeah uh so what uh overall like when it comes to like say like the riddler like what what do you think of like his like blend of inspirations because it's not like the classic riddler that we know and that you do see him bar, you know, get you know, borrowing ideas from other supervillains and Batman's Rogues Gallery. Like how, like what, how'd you feel about that? Well, this Riddler definitely has shades of the Joker in it. It definitely has shades of Professor Pig. Um, I do enjoy the fact too, just to say that the Riddler design in this movie is not very standard. Uh, Riddler attire you know like the very over-the-top flamboyant like riddler in a top hat uh question mark uh suit and cane um well i think would have just been like absolutely ridiculous looking in this movie so i dude did appreciate the the change up in costume here and the fact that like actually too in the new newer batman comics i think the riddler has kind of gone through a sort of like um steroidal abuse period where he's become like absolutely ripped to shit and that's not particularly like the riddler of of yore <laughs> so i did appreciate too that this one you know they didn't really go that route and just be like oh yeah the riddler's just been you know non-stop repping in his uh uh overlook uh when he's in the 
apartment just kind of like staring out the window he's not just you know doing pull-ups the whole time so i I appreciate that but um i would definitely say uh shades of professor pig shades of um the joker um probably those two who are you thinking i'd say hush as well Mm -hmm. especially because like you know like He's kind of like the the bag, kind of like over his head, kind of serves as like you know the bandages over like Hush's face, mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that you know he knows who Bruce Wayne is and about the Wayne family. It's definitely pulling you know from that. I I, I like it. I think it's a it serves well as an amalgamation because it's like uh, probably the closest we will ever get to like a Hush film. So I yeah. liked it a lot. Yeah, it's actually. I mean, Hush is a really cool villain that we don't really see crop up that much. Um, kind of gets left off most of the rogues gallery that they kind of go through. Most of the time, you know, in the new comics and things like that, all the arcs that they do with new authors, they kind of go through the same ones like over and over again. It's like, you know, you get, obviously you get the Riddler, the Joker, um, you know, Scarecrow comes up quite a bit, Bane. Those have been like the main ones that you see kind of consistently like recycling through the main comic series. Like they don't tend to go too much further off into like the rogues gallery at this point. Um, So it was nice to see that, Um, you know, they kind of went a different route with the Riddler. Which makes like disappointing the fact that they shoehorned in the Joker at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, we don't need that. I think this, you know, would have been a. I hope. I hope they. They probably won't because it's going to make too much money. But I. I th- think the franchise would have been better not even bringing up the Joker. Just because it's been. Done to death, and I think the fact too, like it's not a bad thing because the film does have a, a lot of very Nolan-esque aspects in it, like mm-hmm. the whole, um, the way Gotham looks. The dreariness, the corruption that's ever rampant. People, you know, being upset at the corruption. It has, like, the film has a lot of beats from the Nolan films. Which is, again, understandable because they're very impactful in how they, like, set up comic book films for the next past 20 years now, basically. But I think, like, the fact, like... I think the film would be better off like kind of trying to do something different. Like we don't need to see the Joker because again, like I said, like if they're like with the whole, like, Oh, the whole, like I am vengeance and focusing on like the idea of fear. Scarecrow would have been great as a villain. Oh wait, Batman begins did that. So let's stay away from it. Riddler is a great substitute. Dark Knight does the Joker. Let's probably try to do something different. Let's do something like I, it's probably not like it. It's not set in stone, but I guarantee, like the next one is probably going to have the Joker in there somewhere. Would have been better off probably doing something different, mm-hmm. just because it's again well trodden ground. Do something different. <laughs> Zaz, Calendar Man, Mad Hatter, something, Penguin. You know, Colin Farrell and this is Penguin is great. He's like such a like you know smarmy asshole, and like the whole car chase scene is awesome. Just like you know, and then watching him like you know as he thinks he got away from you know Batman and he's like celebrating, and then you see like 
here comes fucking Batman through the pyres because justice never stops. It's great. But Hollywood, you know, DC's got to make, you know, Warren Bros. has to make that money. So it's, we're probably going to get the Joker so, sometime eventually. But I think it would be cool, as I talked about before, if they, like, just kept going the more grounded route. Like, because this works so well. I could watch a whole bunch of these films, like, with this kind of, like, style. Like, more detective noir base where he's, like, trying to track down, like, a serial killer in Gotham who's stirring shit up. So, I mean, the Joker does fit that role, but again, you you beat it to death. <laughs> yeah. All right. How do you think about what, what do you think about um Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon? I think he did a really good job. I We're big we're big Jeffrey Wright fans here. Yeah, I think he does a great job. Still rocking a nice mustache. Beautiful mustache. Yep. I, I thought he did a really good job. Um, I really liked him as uh, Gordon. Um, not much more to say. He just did did a great job. I like the fact that he whispers every line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the talking, one thing I to... that I didn't enjoy about the script, though, and it's not it it tends to be Gordon, but it's sometimes other characters, is when there's something happening on screen that's super obvious, like when they're looking at the laptop. <laughs> and uh, there's like something on screen, like it goes, to, it like zooms into like a map, and he's like, "That's a map of Gotham." It's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> and that's well, that's just like that's kinda, that's why he's a lieutenant. It's just like captain. a, a well, it's, it's, it tends to be Gordon because he's like t- kind of the onlooker to Batman's detective work, but it it can be other characters. But that was one thing about the writing that I did think like there was unnecessary jabber about things that, like that are very clear to the audience and, and Batman looking at it. It's like, that's, that's a map of Gotham. It's like the, literally the words Gotham is on the map. Like, what did you love Gotham? What did you love if he like turned and looked at him like, no shit, Jim. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, it's like, no shit. Yeah. That, that was one thing that did annoy me is like, just like the uh, very obvious, um, dialogue that would point out things that we we know but but other than that um i thought he did a a great job as gordon paul dano is also great as the riddler Mm -hmm. channeling those great there will be blood uh vibes as eli Mm -hmm. i thought he did a good job love it perfect choice perfect choice this is like a chilling understatement about him Which he's very good at. And getting to watch him, like, freak out later as, like, his plan's kind of starting to, like, you know, fall apart. Great. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. And I hope he shows up in the rest of the films. I just hope they don't do what they did with Scarecrow in the Nolan films and kind of bastardize him after the first film. Like, all right, yeah, yeah, you show up and kind of like a weirdo off to the side. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, that's, that was a great choice. Did you like all the, like the Zodiac the Zodiac killer like uh, things that they kind of like poked in there? Yeah, yeah, I liked all the serial killer elements to this movie. I think it does a really good job at that. You know, it, it it obviously has studied the Fincher stuff and Manhunter and things like that. Ooh, that's what this film needs. Is that what the Joker's gonna end up being? He's gonna be Hannibal Lecter. Hello, no. hello, Bruce. Mm, the man you're looking after. Hmm, yes, <laughs> what can you be looking after? Hmm. Let's see. 
I think his name is Freeze. <laughs> All right, so we got to give the Batman a rating. What would you give on a scale of 0 to 10 Blade nightclub scenes? <laughs> Play Sandstorm. I'll give it a 9 out of 10. I liked it a lot. It's a very good film. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite Batman film. It's hard to beat The Dark Knight and Mask of Phantasm. Um, but it's definitely on the right track. It kind of amazes me how DC and Warner Brothers can't fucking make a good superhero film otherwise. And they have to keep returning to the well of like, let's do Batman. Make me even grittier. Um, which is going to eventually run its course and be beaten into the ground but i do think the fact that they kind of they go the more like cerebral detective route of like making it you know more focused on batman as a detective it makes it work it does borrow a lot from various sources of the comics i think it does a great job of blending up different stories to make a unique story it is kind of like a comic book version of seven but I still think it's enjoyable. I look forward to seeing what they have to do next. I just hope like they keep up the pace and don't fuck it up. I don't have that much faith in Warner Brothers at this point, though. So they're eventually going to fuck it up. Um, but I like where this is starting. It's three hours. It isn't that bad of a watch. It's pretty well paced the noir horror elements make this a pretty suspenseful enjoyable watch and i'll give it a 9 out of 10 yeah i'm gonna give it a 9 out of 10 as well um i was very very surprised that i was uh liking this movie so much um you heard a lot of good things about it but it's it's hard to uh really know what to expect when you're going into it but i think this is really uh the this the place that DC needs to be looking into for uh, a, a true uh, universe for their for their franchise. Um, you know, if not for the whole uh, DC uh, comic series, then for for specifically for the Batman universe. Um, uh, I know that you know a lot of times they're trying to get out of like doing the very dark and gritty. Uh, versions of those universes like and going the way of marvel which kind of it can be gritty but it can also you know be very uh you know kind of like um uplifting in, in some cases or or comical um i think that you know they should really just go this route um explore the the darker side of of these um superheroes and uh go along with what they have in store for for Batman, especially um, because I think this does a really good job. Uh, it, it it definitely blows the other DC movies out of the water um, in terms of quality, and it, it's just a really good foray into the Batman universe. Um, I am surprisingly pleased with Robert Pattinson. I think he does a, a pretty good job here as uh, Batman. Um, you know, everything looks good. Um, costumes and makeup and stuff like that looks really good uh, i am i'm very excited to see where they can go with the batman franchise from here um if they start looking at offshoots and um you know sequels and things like that because I, I would definitely follow this franchise of batman and i know that dc really wants to 
take a look at their universe and potentially change things up again. And if they do do that, I would hope that they would take into consideration following Matt Reeves uh, plotting and, and figuring out where to go from here with the Batman series. Um, because that, this is where it's at. This is, this is where they need to focus on. Um, do the dark and gritty stuff because that's what they're good at, especially with the Batman franchise, and follow it through like that. Um, and, and with more focus on visceral, real characters instead of like supernatural elements because it just doesn't work for um, certain superheroes, and Batman is one of them. A lot of fun with it. All right. So that's our episode on the Batman. And I think we've kind of hit the the end of what we had planned out for movies that we wanted to cover so far. Um, I don't really have anything specific in mind for the next episode. Do you? Not that I'm aware of. I know that we had talked about potentially doing a month of films that we would call difficult movies. Um, which would be a series of movies that are considered um, in some capacity to be either hard to watch, disturbing. Um, oh, so we're finally doing a Serbian film? Affecting. I don't know if we're going to do that one because I don't really consider a Serbian film to be disturbing as much as just ridiculous. Um, but I do have it, so if we did want to do it, we could do, <laughs> we could do it. Um, what I was thinking of actually would be, um, and I actually had kind of a list, but I think the ones that we would run through would probably be, um, Lars von Trier films. Yeah, we could do one of those. I would, I was thinking, uh, Antichrist. Um, I was thinking, um, Michael Haneke's original funny games. Um, I was thinking, uh, Requiem for a Dream. And I don't know if I had a fourth one in mind. Uh, I know we had talked about some of them um, and, and which ones we wanted to do previously. Oh, no. It, it, the last one was Hereditary. That's right. Wait, um, right? I mean, it's been a lot, long time since I've seen Requiem for a Dream, but what the fuck's so hard about Requiem for a Dream? Um, the, the subject matter, I think. The 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 uh, ending uh, is very disconcerting. Maybe you're thinking of Eternal Sp- uh, Sunshine. Sp- oh, Sp- maybe, <laughs> maybe you are. Yeah, it's a completely different type of film. That's true. Yeah. No. So do those sh- are the four. Do Shut Island. <laughs> those were the four I was thinking of. So I'm thinking that we would probably. Um, let's see. What what day are we on? What are we What are we on here? Gonna look at my calendar and see what we've got. Um, because I was thinking that we'd probably take next week off and then start it fresh in the month. Um, but I just gonna, I need to look at the calendar and see when that would fall. So, uh, next Friday would be the 29th. So yes. So then we would start it, um, the month of May and the month of May would be our difficult films month. And then we do four films through the month of May. So we would take next week off. You don't want to do Cannibal Holocaust. Um, that was another one that we had talked about. Yeah, mm, possibility, but uh, we we we'll, we can we can talk about that. See what our final picks are gonna be. Oh, I know. Um, Lace Misery Bells. Yeah, I really want to do Funny Games. That's like one that I really wanna 
want to have on my list. And you haven't seen Hereditary, so I think that's one to do as well. But the other two can be discussed. So, yeah. You'll want to tune in for that. Difficult Films Month. Could you meet Soma? Well, we're, we're, we're only going to do one... Um, oh. One of his two films. So... I, I would oh, say yeah. do Hereditary first. <clears throat> you know it's a hard uh, film to get through? Uva Bowl films. That is true. Those are difficult for different reasons, though. <laughs> Dude, Uva Bowl. Blood Rain. Oh, there's much worse than that. Are you kidding me? I think that's really the only other one that I've seen. Blood Rain and... Have you seen House of the Dead? I don't think I actually ever I mean, watched it. No. I think I just I've just seen Blood Rain. That's about it. Alright, so you you'll wanna tune in for our difficult films month. So to do that, make sure that you subscribe to us on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. Uh, Google Podcasts, App Podcasts, Stitcher, our home base at anchor.fm. Pretty much anything we're on, subscribe to us and leave us a nice review. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Crumb Podcast. We have a Patreon page where you can donate to us. It's patreon.com slash blood and black crumb podcast. We'll put that back towards beer. And also you can write to us at blood and black crumb podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, what kind of films you want to see us cover, and we'll take that into consideration. Um, So definitely uh, tune in in two weeks for our start of the Difficult Films Month. And until then, we're gonna need a better fucking title than that. You why? Dif- I, I like it. It's simple, stated, <laughs> difficult films. Yeah, that could mean anything, though. We'll call it um, Mayday Month. <laughs> Mayday, Mayday. <Yeah. laughs> Send help. I don't know. We can. We'll see if we can find a better title. <laughs> Pending. Right. Pending approval. So signing off, until next time, take care.